The playoffs are one week away. Who's still in the hunt? We have a playoff-packed podcast, so let's go to the booth for review. Welcome to the Challenge Flag Podcast, where we put your fantasy season under review. And yeah, Blake, it is it is finally here. It is the last week of the regular season. Playoffs are right around the corner. It, it has felt like we really haven't known anything at all going into this week. And, and it finally has cleared up a little bit. We have a pretty good idea of our four playoff teams. Our wild cards are still up for grabs. But it has been super, super interesting and, and kind of fun to go this far into the season without that level of clarity. But I know we're going to get a little bit deeper into those details, so I'm not going to unpack that right now. Instead, I will hand it over to you for our update on the playoff race. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and break down the playoff scenarios, um, see who has a win and you're in kind of situation this week. The top four teams have already been decided, as you mentioned, and we'll get into that as well. But first, let's just go through the standings. Let's start from the basics. We'll go with the SEC West first. So the first place team in the SEC West right now is Jordan Robbins. Congratulations, Mr. Robbins. He has a 9-4 and four record. He is 5-3 and three in the division and currently has 1,717 points on the year. Second place is Drew Kulas at 8-5 with a 4-3 divisional record and 1,749 points. Number three is myself, Blake Watson, 8-5 record, 4-3 divisional, 1,786 points. Fourth place is Raj Landry, 3-10, 2-5 divisional. The points for Raj, not super great. But he's still in the playoff race. He only has 1,497 points. RJ, you come in fifth in the division, still in the playoff race, which we'll get to. 2-11 record, 2-5 divisional. Your points on the season, 1,417. Moving over to the Mountain West West, which we'll get into this later. That that division name is subject to change uh, if anyone from that division wants to step up and, and stick up for everyone else in that division. But until then, we'll uh, continue to name it after the worst division in college football. First place team is ironically the best team in the league after saying that. Blake Fuller, 11-2 record, 7-1 in the division. He's clinched a playoff spot. He's clinched a bye. He has 1,852 points on the season. Just great work from Fuller all year long. Second place is Michael Costa after a big win against Beicher last week. He is now 7-6, and 3-4 and four in division, 1,856 points. The person he just beat, Matthew Beicher, third place, 6-7 and seven overall, 4-3 and three in division, 1,853 points. And then Chris Risk it comes in at 4, 6-7 record. 2-5 in division, 1,439 points. Rounding out the bottom of that division is Ethan Woods with a 5-8 record, 2-5 in division, and he has 1,570 points on the year. Whew, that's a lot to take in. That's a lot to break down. Really, the reason we went through the division records and the points 
for each of those teams is because those are all of a sudden very, very big factors for this last week of the year. So the top four teams have been decided. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Nothing will change this week for the top four teams in our league. As I mentioned, Blake Fuller is the top of our league with an 11-2 record, and he has clinched a first-round bye. He is the only team to clinch the first-round bye. The other three teams that have already clinched a playoff spot and are in the top four team, regardless of Week 14 results, are Jordan Robbins, Drew Kulas, and myself, Blake Watson. So the SEC West has locked up three of the top four playoff spots, meaning that there's one wild card spot in the SEC West up for grabs between Raj Landry, who is three and ten, and RJ Beecher, who is two and eleven. And there's one wild card spot in the Mountain West West, which is going to be decided between Michael Costa, who is seven and six, and Matthew Beicher, who is six and seven. It seems kind of odd to me because obviously you and Raj don't have great records, RJ. And by all accounts, if you look at Michael and, and Beicher's record, their team doesn't look very stellar with a seven and six record and a six and seven record. It's obviously better than three and ten and two and eleven. But what's wild is that these two teams are fighting for a playoff spot, and they're the top two scoring teams in the league for the entire season. Both of them have over 1,850 points, while you and Raj are fighting for the exact same kind of playoff spot. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you're both going to be seated very similarly, and neither of you has broken 1,500 points on the season. That's 350 less than the two teams in the other division. So looking at that, there's obviously one way you can look at it where you can say well that might not be fair you know these teams have clearly been better than you and Raj no offense but it's the truth and yet they're in the exact same position that you guys are in week 14 how would you assess that situation do you think it's kind of fair and and do you think it makes the league better or you think it makes the league worse this is such an interesting year to to pilot this approach on because you have like a, di- a nice dichotomy of it being a really, really good thing and also it showing why it may not be a good thing. But overall, I, I do think it's fair. I think it's really nice because I have been in positions before where I have scored the most points in the league. And, and I know not everyone uses that as the metric of like that makes your fantasy team good, but it's a metric that I do believe in. I know that there it doesn't really take into account consistency, but generally speaking, if my team is scoring a lot of points, that means I have a good fantasy football team. And if I'm Costa or Beicher in a normal season, I'm the top one or two team in points forced. And so in my mind, I am probably a top three team at the very least in that scenario. Well, in a normal season, they would be eliminated. Today, they'd have nothing to play for, for this week, you know, no wild card card spot. All they're doing is like, all right, well, I guess I'm winning the loser's bracket. And this different style of introducing wild card teams has given them life. It has given these two guys who own really good points forced, who have probably a top three team in the league, a chance to make the playoffs. Fortunately, both of them can't make it. But for one of those guys, it's it's a game changer for them. It has given them new life. 
And on the other side of things, I mean, it, say what you want. My, I, I don't think I deserve to be in the playoffs. I objectively think my team is terrible and the worst in the league. I don't know why you people pretend to listen to me when it comes to fantasy football. I, I'm better off auto-drafting is what I'm learning. But it still is kind of fun that you can uh, kind of have almost that like Cinderella team mindset like in, in the NCAA tournament where I could go in in a scenario where I make it, which I won't. There's just no way we'll get into that in a second. I don't think there's a shot that I make it. But let's say that I went in with the, the worst points scored in the league and I go and I take on Drew and knock off Drew in the first round. That'd be really crazy. It, of course, would be probably infuriating to Drew, but it is kind of fun, just that chaos that, you know, you could have someone who's been kind of down and out this entire year and going in and, and making a really big upset. I, I wouldn't expect it to be like this every year. I don't think we're going to end up having three teams in one division every year, but sometimes that's just how it works out and a bad team might squeak in, but more often than not, they're just going to get knocked out in the first wild card round. And they're still subject to the punishment, so it's not like they're missing out on anything. Their their points still contribute to that scoring system, just as they always would have. It would just be that they got to play a wild card shot, a wild card game, and had a shot to to go further in the playoffs. So overall, I think it's a good system for the league. Definitely keeps things competitive, introduces hope to guys who who ordinarily would just be eliminated at this point. That's a very interesting way of looking at it, and definitely. It's kind of opposite of the way that I was framing it when I was giving you that question. But the most important thing I think you bring up is that, yeah, Michael and Beicher both have the highest score points in the league, and they're both fighting for a wild card spot, like you and Raj, who are two of the bottom end teams in our league. But as you said, they'd be out if if this playoff format didn't exist there would be a zero percent chance that they could play for anything so that that is an excellent point and it won't always work out to where one of the two teams with the high scoring points are going to be guaranteed a chance to get into the playoffs just because of the wild card again that's based off divisional record not points for but it kind of was a fail safe where at least one of the two maybe one of the three best teams in the league is going to end up making it. While we're talking about points scored, another thing I want to bring up is how tightly contested both of these divisions have been at the top of each division. So points scored, the top three points scored are from the Mountain West West. Three of the four guaranteed playoff spots are from the SEC West. But just going through the Mountain West West top three, Michael Costa, 1,857, Matthew Beischer, 1,853, Blake Fuller, 1,852. They're all within five points of each other. I mean, that is absolutely crazy to me. I think that this year in general, there's just anomalies across the board. Like not only are the playoffs kind of odd but the scoring where those three teams are packed into a five-point range last week is the sec west where everyone was packed into i believe it was an eight-point range that spread out a little bit but still tightly contested throughout the course of the season the top three in that side are 
myself at 1,786, Drew Kulas at 1,780 or 49, sorry, 1,749, and Jordan Robbins at 1,717. So everyone in that range is still within 70 points of each other. So again, that's that's much closer than I think we've seen in the past. Um, so this year in general has been very, very crazy. Diving more into the playoff scenario, I know we've referenced this a bunch of times. The three teams from the SEC West have locked up a, a top four spot. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, how is that possible? Because Drew is 8-5. and five, Blake is 8-5. and five, They don't play each other. Michael is 7-6. and six, He doesn't play either of those teams. So if those teams both lose and Michael wins, wouldn't it likely go to a points for situation? And the odds would say that yes, it would go to a points for situation, but unfortunately for Michael, he has lost to both myself and to Drew this season, and those are interdivisional games. So they're only played one time unless you finish at the same standing as your cross-divisional rival, which that that's more for off-season talk. But because Michael only played both myself and Drew once and lost both, he has lost the head-to-head tiebreaker, meaning even if we tie in record, the order that would go between those three teams would be Drew Kulas, myself, and Michael Costa, meaning that Michael wouldn't crack the top four. So theoretically, that could happen, and Michael could still miss the playoffs this week. How? Let's dive into that. So we'll go through the Mountain West West first and how the playoff situation is going to shake up for the team still in the race. The first team is Michael Costa. Michael only has one path to the playoffs. That's it. It it really comes down to his divisional record, which between him and Beischer, Michael has a 3-4 and four divisional record. Matthew Beischer has a 4-3 and three divisional record. And the two split games this year where Michael lost the first game to Matt and won the second. So it's going to come down to a points four situation as long as the divisional records are tied up at the end of week 14. Michael trailing in a game. Naturally, he has to beat his divisional opponent, Chris Risk, this week. And Beischer has to lose to his divisional opponent, Ethan Woods. That would tie them in divisional record. Michael currently has a 3.44 point lead on the season to Matthew Beischer. So if they tie in divisional record, he needs to maintain that points advantage this week, meaning he's kind of playing two games. He's playing against Chris Risk. He is also playing against Matthew Beischer because 3.44 that's not a lot of points. That's kind of like going into a week tied up zero to zero. So Michael has two opponents this week. So to review the scenario for Michael to get in, he has to beat Chris Risk. Matthew Beischer has to lose to Ethan Woods. And Michael cannot be outscored by Matthew Beischer by more than 3.44 points. The other team in the Mountain West West is Matthew Beischer. Two scenarios to get in, much more simple than Michael's. Scenario one He has to beat Ethan Woods. Win and you're in. Hear that, Matthew? Win and you're in. That's it. And who do you play? Oh, 
just the worst team in your division. No way you can screw that up. No chance, Matt. I'm putting all my money on you. I've picked against you the or I've picked your team to win all season and you're six and seven. So you've done nothing but disappoint me. I'm sure you've done nothing but disappoint yourself. Please prove me right and cross the finish line by beating the worst team in your division. That's all you gotta do. Let's say you lose though, because as the season's shown, that's very likely to happen because for some reason, you just can't seem to prove me right. Even if you lose, you can get in, Matt. That's it, because all you have to do is beat Michael by 3.44 points. Now, in all honesty, I really have no dog in this fight. I've been impressed by what Michael's done with his team this year. His running back situation looked very bleak for a while, and I think it's impressive how he kind of handled that situation. He's given himself life again, given himself a chance to get back into the playoff race. But between these two, if I had to put my money on someone, I think it's Matt just because his situation to get into the playoffs is so much easier than Michael's is. Looking at this Mountain West-West race, do you can you picture how it's going to play out in this, this last week? I don't know if I can picture how it's going to play out, but I do, I do tend to, to side with you a little bit where Matt's path in is just easier. It's just simpler. He just needs to win or to outscore Michael. So like you said, he's playing two games essentially this week. I think it's very, very possible that he can get one of those things versus Michael where he's got to win. He needs Bysher to lose and he needs to outscore Bysher by 3.44 points. So Michael's playing three games. Matt's playing two. And it's, yeah, it's crazy. I I would be heartbroken for you, Blake, if, if Matt didn't make the playoffs, because I just know how, how infatuated you'd you are with his team so that would be traumatic yeah really the reason i'm rooting for matt is because there's a very good chance that i'm the four seed in the playoffs meaning i would have to play the whoever gets in between these two teams and michael's team scares me a whole hell of a lot more right now than matt's team does so come clean Matt, I need you to get a win this week because I do not want to play against Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, and everyone else on Michael's roster. Moving over to the other division, the battle of the bottom of the barrel, Raj Landry and RJ, yourself, you guys are fighting for the wild card spot at 3-10 and 2-11. and 11. So we'll break down the scenarios to get into the playoffs. Raj has... I would say the easier path between the two. So we'll break his down first. Scenario one, he has to beat Drew Kulas this week. And you would have to lose or he would have to out... Sorry. And you would have to lose or if you do win and you guys are tied in divisional record, 2-5 and five and 2-5 and five right now, you both win, you're 3-5, three 3-5. And five, three and five. If you're tied in divisional record, he has to make sure that you do not outscore him by 80 points. 80 points. No big deal to make that up. I think your team has struggled to cross the 80-point threshold the past two weeks. So I, I think that's very unlikely. But that's scenario one for Raj. Beat Drew and a Beecher loss or make sure Beecher doesn't outscore you by 80 points. Scenario two, Drew 
could beat Raj and Raj could still get in as long as you lose and you don't outscore him by 80 points. So those are the two scenarios for Raj. You have one scenario. All right. One job, one job only. Beat me. You have to beat me this week in the Battle of the Commissioners. When I was setting up the schedule for the season before the draft, I was really hoping that this week 14 game would have a lot riding on it for the both of us. It turns out it has a lot riding on it for the both of us, but for very different reasons. You have to beat me this week, and Raj either has to lose or you have to outscore Raj by 80 points. You do those two things, you're in. That's really it. That's the wild card race in the SEC West because every other team, they're in. They're riding comfy this week. So looking at that SEC West race, I got to be honest with you. I don't think that Raj really has much of a chance against Drew, mostly because I don't think he's going to set up his lineup. That's a whole different discussion. Outscoring him by 80 points, I'm not going to pick your team to do that. So... I think there's a chance that you do beat me this week, and if you do that, all you need is a simple Raj loss to Drew, which I would say is 80% guaranteed. I'm still going to take Raj to make it into the playoffs because our matchup, as we'll get into, might be a little bit lopsided by virtue of bye weeks, but how do you envision the SEC West shaking out? Well, we'll just say this. So, as you alluded to, Raj hasn't set his lineup in the past two weeks maybe maybe three so he's been playing without quarterbacks without defenses without tight ends and i have not outscored him setting a full lineup the past two weeks so either my team has just been saving it all and they're just about to go crazy this week or my team is just terrible and it's just it's just awful and that would allude to me having no shot at getting in here because I don't think I will beat you this week. And I don't think Raj will beat Drew without setting his lineup. If if, Drew, or if Raj sets his lineup, I actually think his team's pretty good. I've been kind of saying that for a while now, but it's just, come on, management, step up. And he could beat Drew if he set a lineup, but I don't think he will. So I think he'll lose to Drew, and then it will just be the virtue of the, the points and he's got me there. So my pick is for Raj. Yeah, it, it's really unfortunate, and it has to be frustrating knowing that, that someone's not setting their lineup. I mean, this I, I think this applies to everyone in the other division as well. Knowing a player's not setting their lineup, they'll make the playoffs just by luck, and, and you've been slaving away to work your team back into contender condition, which, you know, obviously you haven't bared any fruit in in that effort but you've put in the effort and Raj has not done much and yet he's here really looking at almost a guaranteed playoff spot which is crazy to think about and I'm sorry for your frustration I'm sorry for the frustration of everyone in the other division but sometimes that's just how the cookie crumbles let's get into for everyone that's not contending for the wild card spots, how the playoff seeding will work based on week 14 results. Number one seed, Blake Fuller, done, locked up, been locked up for a long time now. I think it's been three weeks. Three weeks he's clinched the playoffs now for two weeks. He has held on to that number one seed and a first round bye. As we mentioned, the top four teams regardless will be Fuller, Robbins, Kulas, and Watson. The other bye has 
not been clinched. So right now, Jordan is in the driver's seat for that second buy spot. Win and you get the buy. That's all you have to do, Jordan. If you win this week in your matchup against, ironically, Blake Fuller, then you will have a buy in the first round of the playoffs. If you lose, the odds of you having a buy are honestly slim to none. Because if you lose and either Drew or myself wins, you have split games with Drew and me this year. So Jordan is 1-1 one one against Kulas, 1-1 one one against Watson. That would mean that that buy spot would go to points four. If both Drew and I win, it'll be a points four between the three teams. If either Drew or I win, it will be a points four between Jordan and whoever the winner is. Now, again, let's revisit the points four in the SEC West. I'm currently leading between those three teams at 1,786. Drew is about 35, 37 behind at 1,749. Jordan is at the bottom of that standing. He is about he's about 69 points behind myself leading, and he is about 32 points behind Drew, who's in second place. Meaning that we all three go. I'm likely to have the bye if just Drew wins and Jordan loses. Drew will likely have the bye, and Jordan will have the three seed. I will have the four seed. If Jordan wins or all three of us lose, Jordan will be the two seed with the bye. Drew will be the three seed. I will be the four seed. When it comes to me and Drew, the tiebreaker goes to Drew. He has the head-to-head advantage against me, beating me twice on the year. Again, he just seems to have my number. I really hope I do not run into him in the playoffs because that is a monkey I cannot get off my back. So the playoff standings, if standings were to hold water through week 14, which is possible given the matchups, the buys would go to Fuller and Jordan. The wildcard matchup, the teams I would be playing to advance, would be the three-seed Drew against whoever goes to the playoffs between Raj and RJ. The second matchup would be myself against whoever goes to the playoffs between Beicher and Costa. If Jordan were to lose this week, then the matchups would likely look like this, given that Drew and I both win. Blake Fuller would be your one seed. Blake Watson would be your two seed. The league would be dominated by Blake's. The wildcard matchups would be the three seed Drew Kulas against the winner between Raj and and RJ. And the other game would be four seed Jordan Robbins against the five seed, whoever goes between Beicher and Costa. So that's really kind of what we're looking at. There's one more scenario, I guess, where you just interchange the, the standings where everything holds water. You flip around Jordan and Drew. I mean... That's it. There's there's three scenarios, and the only thing that changes is who goes to the wild card spots between the two divisions, and then shuffle in the deck between me, Jordan, and Drew. That's really all that can happen. I think it's going to be a very exciting week. I'm not playing with my playoff life on the line this week. However, playing for a one seed and a bye, that in itself is already so much more exciting than in years past where if you had locked up a playoff spot you were just kind of looking at well who might I play in the first round 
but but having a buy and a guaranteed a guaranteed exit from the punishment pool and a guaranteed advancement into the semifinals that is a big deal that is something that i feel is really worth playing for and it it really makes the rest of the season much more exciting than if i had clinched this last week and was just sitting around didn't really care who played in my lineup which i think would behoove you rj but overall you know we are excited about the format that we have currently but we're open to feedback so if any of you out there have feedback about how you feel about league standings or about the playoff system please let us know rj again i'll I'll get your feedback one more time going into week 14 do you feel like this new playoff system has accomplished what we set out to have it accomplish i think it it has we our goal was to make divisions a thing to introduce rivalries to add a little bit more excitement i think it's done all those things i think it's added a lot more weight to the games I play against you, Drew, Jordan, Raj, and those are all more meaningful. And especially going through this process of, of taking notes on the playoffs and stuff like that, I'm going to be even more observant of it next year because those head-to-head tiebreakers are so critical, so critical for your division that I think even it'll just continue to build like good rivalries do. So I think it has far and away accomplished what we had hoped it would. And I am a big fan of the system. And I'm not just saying that because it has given me life. I, I truly don't think I will be representing the SEC in the wild card spot. I think it will be Raj, but that's okay. Well, we'll move on from playoff talk. We'll get into a recap of last week, and then we'll take a look at how we think this week's going to unfold. And you can draw your conclusions and do the math for what that means for the playoffs on your own time. So, RJ, if you would like to give us a recap of Week 13 and lead us into Week 14 matchups. Absolutely. So, we had Commissioner's Curse, Blake, your team with 176.28 over Team Breezeless, or should I say Team Does Not Set His Roster Spots, and that's Raj Landry with 91.5. We had Waffle House Bankruptcy, Michael Costa with 163.72 over the Chernobyl Janitors, Matthew Beischer squad, and a critical win there with 116.64. We had Robin's Birds, Jordan's team with 114.84 over AFC Richmond, my squad with 91.16. As you will notice, as I pointed out, I did score less points than Raj, even though he didn't set his lineup, so take that as you will. Team E.T. Woods, Ethan's team with 154.8 over Team Drew K7, Drew Kulas' team with 135.62. And finally, the Creek Haven Comeback Kids, Blake Fuller's team, of course, taking the win in a heartbreaking fashion over Risky Business Incorporated, Chris Risk Squad with 123.36. A close one there. I think it was actually closer before some stat corrections. So that one got a little less heartbreaking, but that did end Chris's playoff hopes. So truly a heartbreak in week 13 there. But we'll turn our eyes to week 14 because that's what we do. We keep looking forward. And on our standings, Blake, I still got you 33 and 22 as my record. You are 27 and 27. So you can still catch me. It's not out of the, the realm of possibility, but I'm not so sure it's going to happen. I think I'm going to take the, the moral victory there, even though I won't take any victories besides the two I have in the actual. You you, you just got to take the wins where you can get them, man. It, it, it sometimes, sometimes you have those fantasy seasons where it's just tough sledding all year. The good news for you is there is another avenue for you to find success, and that is in beating the most average predictor of all time. 27 and 27, I'm batting 500. 
how much more average can you get than that? So, I mean, if you're an MLB player, you'd be making quite a bit of money if you're batting 500. So don't sell yourself short. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, it's only fitting, though, that with our matchups for this week, we start with the Battle of the Commissioners. My team, AFC Richmond, against your team, Commissioner's Curse. I will start with my team first and then jump over to yours. At quarterback, we've got Mr. Infamous himself, Deshaun Watson, against Jalen Hurts. At the running back spots, and you alluded to this, Earlier, with the bye week drama I have, I've got Latavius Murray and Gus Edwards, which is just so good, against Austin Eckler and Damian Pierce. It's laughably bad, laughably lopsided on that one. At wide receiver, we've got Jerry Judy and Gabe Davis against C.D. Lamb and A.J. Brown, so it doesn't get much better at the wide receiver spot. Tight end, we've got T.J. Hawkinson against Tyler Higby. I think I got you there. At the flex, it's Mike Evans against Miles Sanders. At this point, I think I'd rather have Miles Sanders. At the super flex, I got Kirk Cousins against Deontay Foreman. I will take that one. So I've got TJ Hawkinson and Kirk Cousins, my little Minnesota stack. That's all I I got going for me. And then defense, we have Philly against the Giants and Cleveland against Cincinnati. Bench-wise, the only options I have on my bench right now are Russell Wilson, who will likely be dropped in the coming moments, and Joshua Palmer because Rondale Moore and Mike Williams are both in my IR spots and could return this week. So there is a possibility there's some shakeup in my lineup there. It won't be Mr. Unlimited going in. That that for sure will not be happening. Uh, Blake, on your side, you've got Rashad White. And that is it, because Cortland Sutton is likely not going to play. Lazard's on by, Michael Pittman's on by, and Aaron Rodgers is on by. So I'm not going to unpack this one too heavily. I think it's very, very clear to anyone with a brain that I'm picking you as I think you should also pick you because if you're starting Latavius Murray and Gus Edwards, it just ain't it. It just ain't your week, and that's the scenario we're in. So, unfortunately, I, I played all my cards hoping that it wouldn't come to this, and it, it came to this. This was the week I needed to win. So, here we are, and I'm going to take my L and politely look forward to not shaving my legs, although they would be nice and silky smooth. Man, I I really feel bad for you um, as I have conceded in our our prediction race i'll throw you a bone here i'll i'll take you to win this week hopefully it pushes you over the edge and gets you into the playoffs hopefully you win your first round playoff game and then we have a rematch in the semifinals where i can exact my revenge although if you go to the semifinals it's it's a guaranteed game against blake fuller so i guess we will we'll meet again in the finals, my friend. We'll meet again in the finals where hopefully that's where where we can play it out one more time on the big screen and I, I'll come away with the win. I'll pick myself in that, that championship game. Break the curse once and for all. We can't we can't lose to the curse if we're both in the finals. <laughs> that would be ideal. That would be so great to have two commissioners in the finals just to break the curse. I'd have to find a new team name, but one hundred percent worth it. We'd probably tie. <laughs> we, we probably would. Even in the, the decimal system that we play in now, where fantasy football has evolved past whole points, we would find a way to, to tie. And and we're not cutting that trophy in half, so I guess neither of us gets it. Chris, you'll get to 
to hold on to it for one more year if that happens. The next matchup is the Chernobyl Janitors, Matthew Beischer against Team E.T. Woods. That's Ethan Woods' team. If you did not pick up on that, I'll go through Matt's players first, Ethan's players second. At quarterback, we have Tua Tagovailoa versus Tom Brady. The running back matchup is Saquon Barkley and Ramondre Stevenson against Christian McCaffrey. And currently, David Montgomery is in there, but at, seeing as he's on bye, I imagine that it's probably going to be a, a struggle for, for Ethan with, with DJ Dallas, which <coughs> that um, that doesn't bode well for Michael. I have to be honest with you. If I'm Michael and I'm looking at that, I am very upset that Ethan doesn't have any running backs. Maybe I would have thought to have traded him a running back before the trade deadline as a last second Hail Mary. But then again, maybe they hadn't maybe Michael had not unpacked the, the playoff situation by that point. The wide receiver matchup, you have T. Higgins and Christian Kirk for Matthew against Jamar Chase and Amari Cooper for Ethan Woods. I think that's a very interesting matchup at that position. You have Travis Kelsey for Matthew against Greg Dulcich for Ethan, another mismatch. The flex positions for Matt are Garrett Wilson and Kendall Pickett against DK Metcalf and Mike White. The battle of the backup quarterbacks from the start of this year. Matt is starting the Ravens defense against Kenny Pickett and the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is very interesting strategy on Matt's part. And Ethan currently has no defense in his lineup. So he has Washington Commanders who are playing against air. The bench options for Matthew are Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, and Zonovan Knight. So all the running backs that Ethan could possibly use, Matthew is already rostering them. He also has Pat Fryermuth on his bench. The bench options for Ethan as it sits today, DJ Dallas, Tyler Boyd, Jacoby Myers, and Brandon Ayuk. Looking at this matchup, you got one complete roster full of studs against an incomplete roster full of decent players. Give me Matthew Beischer to win. Unfortunately, Michael, I think that means that you will not make the playoffs. Matthew, I, I think you have a really good chance here. Don't screw it up, man. Don't screw it up. RJ, who do you have? I'm not going to overcomplicate things on this one. I, I'm also going to take Matthew Beischer here. To your point, he's got a complete roster. I I think he could explore not starting Kenny Pickett, but I understand why he is, I guess, kind of. But I, I just want to hype up Garrett Wilson a little bit. That's, that's all I'm going to do with this remaining time. With Mike White playing, he is balling out. He's got 26.4 and 24.2 points. So he's only projected for 10 down in the flex spot, but he has been so good when, when Zach Wilson's not the quarterback. So, like, that's such a, in my mind, it looks lopsided. It looks like DK Metcalf's the, the better flex there, but I don't think it is. I think Garrett Wilson is with, with Mike White slinging the ball. So uh, I am definitely taking Matt there. I'm not going to oversaturate that one. I, I have to agree with you there. What, this is interesting. I just have to ask Garrett Wilson, obviously, he's been balling out. On Ethan's bench, you got another player who's been balling out and is sitting on the bench, Brandon Ayuk. If that were the matchup, would would you almost lean back towards Ethan with Brandon Ayuk versus Garrett Wilson? Do you think it makes it more even, or you think Garrett Wilson's just he's this is it? He's arrived. Well, Ayuk is interesting because he 
he's been pretty consistent, but with with Brock Purdy being the quarterback there, I'm less confident in Ayuk. And last week he only scored 9.6 points, and then it was 11, it was 16, 12. He's had a couple of nice games, but I'm not so sure that his best days are ahead of him with, with Brock Purdy throwing the football versus DK Metcalf as the, the flex there. I mean, DK's, DK's been so good this year. He really has. He's been he's been a steal for his value, and and he's I think just more reliable at this point. And I don't think I'd bench Coop or definitely not Jamar Chase. So I think you're you're kind of locked into those three. Um, I know you could make the argument for benching Coop with how bad Deshaun Watson looked last week, but I, I mean the dude hasn't played football in two years, so I think there is an argument to say the rest was expected. I think we talked about that a little bit last week. So maybe he puts it back together this week. I think Coop's got the higher upside than Ayuk with Brock Purdy. So I think he he probably sticks with those three he's got in there right now. All right, let's look at our next matchup. This one is a big one for Mr. Jordan Robbins, who could lock up a first round bye, but he has to go up against Blake Fuller. So looking at the roster, starting with Jordan and going to Blake, we've got Joe Burrow against Patrick Mahomes, Isaiah Pacheco against Derrick Henry, Samajai Pirine against... James Cook, Juju Smith-Schuster against Debo Samuel, Justin Jefferson against Amon Ross St. Brown. We currently do not have a tight end slotted there, but it looks like it will be Evan Ingram there against Dalton Schultz. We've got Adam Thielen in the flex against Jalen Waddell, Daniel Jones at the Superflex against DeAndre Hopkins, Seattle against Carolina against Dallas against Houston. Bench-wise, Jordan's got Ryan Tannehill he could turn to. He's got Joe Mixon, who could be out of concussion protocol. I would almost bet that he would be. Devin Singletary, George Pickens, and then, of course, the the aforementioned Evan Ingram. Fuller has Trevor Lawrence. He's got Kenneth Walker, who's banged up there, Curtis Samuel, Jamal Williams, and Gerald Everett. So this one, I unfortunately don't think I like Jordan's chances of getting that first-round bye. Starting Pacheco is not making me have all warm and fuzzy inside. And same thing with Juju. Of course, I do like Justin Jefferson. But Blake's wide receiver core is just so dang good between Debo, Amon St. Brown, DeAndre Hopkins. And I know we talked a little bit about Brock Purdy in our last matchup. But Debo was actually getting a lot more targets than Brandon Ayuk. So I'm a little bit higher on him. I... Wouldn't blame Blake if he swapped D-Hop and Debo and then started a natural super flex in Trevor Lawrence against Tennessee, but I'm not the one making those rosters decisions, so that's not up to me. James Cook's not great starting there as your RB2, but I think the upside with his receivers is too much, and honestly, Dallas against Houston is, is like such a big edge because Houston literally beat itself last week against the Browns and they had three special teams or defensive touchdowns in that game. Dallas, of course, erupted in the fourth quarter against Indy for 26 points overall as a fantasy team. So them against Houston is scary. So I think that is a huge X factor for Fuller's team and it's going to make me take him in this matchup. Yeah, Jordan's running back situation really scares me this week. Not only do you have Isaiah Pacheco, who, you know, some weeks he looks great and some weeks he doesn't do anything for you, Um, but he has Samadji Pirine, who's been excellent in the absence of Joe Mixon, but Joe Mixon's back and 
so now not only can you not feel confident starting Samaj P. Ryan, but after the last few weeks of Samaj P. Ryan performing, you can't really feel confident starting Joe Mixon either. That That is just the way I see it. Who knows? Maybe the Bengals come out and they go right back to featuring Joe Mixon. But going into the playoffs, having that kind of uncertainty at that position, it, it doesn't feel great. Um, now, again, there's a chance one of these guys emerge. You're not going to know it when you're setting your lineup this week. You're not going to know how that dynamic's going to play out unless the Bengals come out and say, hey, Joe's our guy. You know, Joe Mixon's our guy. But, uh, again, don't feel great about that. Same for Juju Smith-Schuster against Denver. I don't feel excellent about that matchup at all. Uh, Juju has the ability to put up 30-plus point games, and I think that's why Jordan made the move for him in a last-second trade, trade away Leonard Fournette to get Juju Smith-Schuster, which I think is a probably good move on Jordan's part. I think it was, you know, he had to do it before the trade deadline. If the trade deadline had been able to get pushed back a week it, it would have been better having Lenny Fournette this week would make me feel a lot more comfortable in Jordan's lineup but Blake's got too much firepower like you said at the receiver position it's just stupid I mean it, it's tough to look at his lineup knowing that you passed on every single one of these guys in the draft because these are all drafted players for Fuller and and I'm I'm gotta hand it to him I'm Blake's got a great team and I'm gonna pick him to win this week Next matchup, very big for one team, could have been very big for the other team in this matchup if they had not suffered a heartbreaking loss last week. We have Risky Business Inc., Chris Risk, who's now eliminated from the playoffs against Waffle House Bankruptcy and Michael Costa, who is fighting and scrapping for his playoff life with what I think is, if not the best, the second best team in the league. I'll go through Chris's players first, Michael's players second. Justin Herbert is up against Josh Allen. Battle of the two young studs. At the running back position, you have DeAndre Swift and James Conner against Travis Etienne and Tony Ballard. It's interesting because all four of those running backs are kind of, have kind of been roller coaster players this year. The wide receivers for Chris are Keenan Allen and Zay Jones against Stephon Diggs and Devontae Adams, where I think the week will be won. The tight end position is George Kittle against Noah Fant currently. Michael starting Noah Fant, picking him up this week. At the flex positions, Chris is starting Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift's backup, who's Chris's RB1 this week, and Kareem Hunt at the super flex. Michael is starting Ezekiel Elliott at the flex and Derek Carr at the super flex. Defenses, Chris has the 49ers against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Michael has the Las Vegas Raiders against the Los Angeles Rams, both great matchups against former Giants in the league. The bench options for Chris, Brandon Cooks, Darius Slayton, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and that's it. For Michael, Leonard Fournette, Marquise Brown, Noah Fant, who is on his bench but will be plugged into his tight end spot, and same with the Raiders defense. So... <laughs> this game's really interesting. There's really only three players in both of these lineups that I look at, and I'm like, you know what? I feel confident in that guy this week. That's Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams. Every single other player name that I'm looking at 
on this screen. I don't know if they're going to go for 20 points. I don't know if they're going to go for two points. This one, I think if there is going to be a big upset this week that I, I genuinely believe in, I think this is the game where Chris could do it just because all of these players are so all over the place. And if Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs were for some reason to not perform against the New York Jets, Chris has a chance, but give me Michael this week. I, I don't have much more breakdown on this just because I feel so unconfident about picking either team. I'm also going to pick Michael in this one. And all I really want to talk about here is the strategy of, of starting both Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. And one thing that I think is interesting is that Tony Pollard is actually the number nine running back in PPR scoring, which is outstanding for him. I also want to comment that I believe Raj drafted him and dropped him after week six or after week seven, I think, right before he exploded for his 33 point game against Chicago, which is, of course, against me. And he has just not looked back since then. So just when we talk about Raj's team and and how it was better than we all thought it was at the beginning of the year, he could have had Tony Pollard as well. His running back court was so good. But I like the strategy of starting both Tony and Zeke here. I don't know if Michael is going to continue with that, but I really think Dallas is going to dominate this game against Houston. Houston's a, a terrible, terrible football team. Their running defense is terrible. I really think there is an avenue for both Zeke and Tony having at least one touchdown each. Zeke has been a stud the last few weeks. He's 18, 16, 17, 17, 15. So like much more of the RB2 we thought he was going to be than where he started the year. I think I like that strategy. I think there is a good amount of upside there on top of the receivers, like you mentioned. So give me Michael in this one. I think this one's not too complicated in my mind. But we will look at our very, very last matchup. And this one might be the most lopsided of them all. But we'll get into that. We've got Team Drew K7, Drew Kulas against Team Breezeless, Raj Landry. Starting with Drew's team at the quarterback spot, we've got Geno Smith against Kyler Murray, Dalvin Cook and Jarek McKinnon against Najee Harris and Josh Jacobs, Tyree Kill and Tyler Lockett against Terry McLaurin, who is on by, and Deontay Johnson. We've got Mark Andrews against an empty bench spot, and I'm not going to fill someone's name in there because chances are they won't get plugged in. We've got Chris Godwin against Nick Chubb in the flex spot. We've got Tyler Huntley against Dak Prescott at the super flex spot. We've got the Buffalo defense against the Jets, against an empty bench spot there. On Drew's bench, he's got Lamar, who is probably not going to play. That's why he's plugged in Tyler Huntley. We've got Alexander Mattinson, Michael Carter, DJ Moore, and the Chiefs, who played Denver, who is actually a very interesting matchup there. I'm not sure if I like that one more than the Buffalo one, but Denver's terrible. Raj has Jared Goff. He's got Devonta Smith. He's got Foster Moreau, Caleb Otten the Rams defense and Tampa Bay's defense. So he does have options if he decides to check his sleeper app. But yeah, by virtue of Terry McLaurin being out, not having a tight end spot, not having a defense, I'm just naturally going to side with Drew no matter what here. Overall, I've said it. I, I think Raj's team is pretty good if he would set his lineup. Josh Jacobs is is awesome. Josh Jacobs is the number two running back in PPR. Like, you talk about competitive advantages there. It doesn't get more like that's that's what you're looking for. When when Nick Chubb is your RB2, you've got a great fantasy team. You really do. And Najee's your flex. That's really, really good. I know the receivers are nothing to write home about, but 
I mean, Terry McLaurin's been fine. He's had his art, his wide receiver one weeks, and, and Deontay Johnson is, is also a fine guy who will get you points. He's probably more of a flex option. So it's not super exciting, but the quarterbacks are good. It just kills me. Like, this team is not bad. It's really not bad. But until the lineup starts getting set consistently, I, I do think Drew's going to run away with this one. Yeah, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. I'm not going to lend any credence to this game. I'm not going to waste my time and anyone else's time breaking down a matchup when it doesn't matter because ultimately it's not going to matter. The odds of winning when you're starting three to four less players than the other team, very slim. Give me Drew in this game, and and that's it. So next week we'll be talking to you guys about the fantasy playoffs we'll be talking to you about the 2022 professional football league playoffs and we'll be giving you updates starting the week after that about the consolation bracket and the consolation prize or punishment depending on how you want to look at it and where you're sitting in the standings so gear up because this is the most exciting time of the year the only other time i think that i'm as excited as i am during the playoffs is at draft season but you know the curse still lives there's there's a chance to break it and uh rj if you can just find a way to sneak into the playoffs i it doubles our odds so i'll be rooting for you this week for everyone that's listening good luck in your matchups Good luck in the playoffs, and we will see you next week.